Welcome to episode 67 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded May 10th, 2020. My name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, and my farm's designated handyman. Hi, I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. And I'm Hughes from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter, and current station chief. I'm also a volunteer search and rescue technician and, and a prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees for the last six years or so, and this has been born out of the uh, necessity for the long and sorry for the short and long term survival of my young family, which includes three children. I'm uh, Colin. I'm from Pembroke, Ontario. I'm a 21 year uh, veteran of the Canadian Forces. I'm also a field officer for the CCFR, and I like to take uh, new shooters to the range. Alan? Sorry, forgot to unmute myself. If you'd like to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at www.rapandsurvival.com. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if just if there's a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at purperpodcast.ca. Okay, I couldn't come up with much of a dad joke this week, but anyways, we have some evacuated content for you this episode. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news. Next, we'll let you know how we, uh, what we did for preparedness this week since our last episode, and then we'll get to the main topic, which is should we stay or should we go? News time. Uh, one quick article uh, from the Niagara area. Um, really simply, a car went over the uh, um, car went over the embankment into the gorge. Uh, didn't work out f- so well for the driver. You know, just a reminder to drive safe, pay attention, uh, don't let the stupid things get us caught up in, uh, in instead of the big things. That uh, Niagara Gorge, that's the little river between the U.S. and Canada. Yep, it's kind of the um, the the spillway almost between the between the falls. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, as for myself, uh, a couple of news articles here. Uh, not really much of a news article per se, but uh, in the recent firearms ban that came across, which I'm sure we'll be talking about this episode, uh, we got some bolt guns caught up in the assault weapons ban. So for uh, extreme long-range shooting in Canada, unfortunately, the calibers like 375, 416, and 408 shytac got banned, as well as the uh, 460 Weatherby Magnum and the 50 BMG. Um, this whole thing was supposed to be uh, taking care of things that weren't used for sporting purposes, but... I mean, I don't think extreme long-range shooting is anything but a sport at this point, and uh, a little sad to say that a lot of stuff like that got caught up. So, boo! All of those legitimate hunting rounds can't can't convince me otherwise. Well, four sixty Weatherby Magnum is one of the big five they use for like hunting uh, big game in Africa. I mean, that is literally one of the ones that the 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 hunterest of hunters would uh, use for something over there, and it has yeah, nothing caribou, to do with caribou, polar bear, grizzlies, all of them. Like it, it just makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so as far as supporting purposes for everything else, I had an ATT since this whole started back in the 90s. So, I mean, I've been doing nothing but sport shooting since then. So, it's sad. But uh, another article I had was the biggest deficit ever. So, on Bloomberg.ca, uh, they had an uh, article here on how Canada has been running the largest deficit in its history, which is $252 billion this quarter. So, uh, fun times. This quarter. That's a... Um... That's an impressive number. The worst part is that Trudeau's proud of it. Well, and yeah, not just proud of it, but he's just—he's not stopping. That's not. This is like an ongoing thing. Like I, I put another article in here next. It's like eight hundred and fifty billion dollars just to the World Health Organization to give away to other countries during our biggest downturn ever economically and our biggest deficit. And he's just throwing money away like a drunken sailor in Vegas. And it's just crazy. So, not trying to be too much in the way of politics this time, but. 
the way our government's burning cash, I mean, you can't help but think there's going to be economic issues down the road, which is going to lead to the economic meltdown scenario for us preparedness types. So, Without a doubt, I think this is about, uh, about the closest we're going to get to a fair warning of the whole problem. Yeah. So, uh, Hughes, you got anything at all? Not for news articles, no. Um, I mean, just just the fact that, you know, you mentioned that some bolt guns uh, have been caught up. There's been some controversy around some shotguns um, being caught up in it as well. And I guess it's looking more and more like it's actually only one shotgun. Um, but um, there's nothing put on paper yet uh, from Bill Blair or his office to say that. Um, uh, that shotguns are actually not exempt. Um, the way they came back and said, I guess it's uh, any the, the way shotgun bores are measured. It's after the chamber, but before um, the choke. Um, so that would mean that most of the shotguns would not um, would not be banned. But um, until that's actually put into law, I, I just I have some questions about it. Right. So yeah, because I don't think a tweet counts as a legal opinion from from Bill Blair. So, uh, but I mean, to be to be fair, anything smaller or bigger than ten gauge, like eight gauge, all the old punt guns and everything else, some guys had sitting on their wall for years. Those now, prohibited, prohibited. Yeah, prohibited devices now. And I mean, like uh, some guys were proud of their old, like you know, one hundred and fifty year old six gauge, uh, you know, black powder shotguns, and weren't harming anybody with those things. Hardly an assault weapon, and yet gone now. So. Right. And so the way that Bill Blair's office mentioned that, you know, the, the way that the CBSA checks for um, bore diameter is, is what, what I just said. So it's after the chamber, but before the choke. Um, but again, is, is, you know, if I go out duck hunting, uh, which I know this isn't a season, but if I go out and do that and somebody stops me and says, you know what, that, that gun is prohibited. And I say, no, you know, on the side of the road is not the place to argue. Um, so take the gun, I'll take the charge. And then, you know, I end up having to go to court. And my only evidence is tweets from Bill Blair or, you know, a screenshot from the RCMP site. I don't know how well that's going to fly, right? So, well, exactly, and I mean, they some some worn out shotguns. They um, a couple of guys were showing that they can exceed twenty millimeters if they are, you know, shot out. So, I mean, they're, they're prohibited. Then, I think the uh, the first guy, the uh, the worst first one they mentioned was an Ivor, Ivor Johnson single shot, which was right crazy. So, but on that note, uh, Colin, you have something about the CCFR going to court? Uh, yeah. So the uh, Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights has decided to take the government of Canada to federal court uh, to do a Charter 7 constitutional challenge. So that's uh, pretty big news. Um, to do those kinds of things, it's extremely expensive. It's a lot of money. And so uh, they're currently um, looking at fundraising options for that. Uh, they haven't, I don't believe, filed it yet, but they have retained a, a lawyer who is uh probably one of the best in Canada uh, fighting these uh, types of constitutional challenges. And so uh, I believe they're going to, uh, you know, attack this on a few different fronts. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot coming in the near future, but uh, I really don't think, uh, you know, due to the haste of this legislation that I really don't think that Bill Blair and Justin Trudeau are going to really do so well Um you know, when this is all broken down into policy and stuff like that, because it's just poorly written policy and uh, Canadians are feeling really betrayed that they went through a process to be screened by the very government they're, um, that's banning this. Uh, it's ridiculous because firearm owners actually get more security screening than, than the Privy Council of Canada does. And, so, police and potential police officers as well, right? And not only that, but I mean, uh, you know, 
it's ironic to think that when Bill Blair was questioned about why why aren't criminals uh, checked daily through CPIC, and he said it's because that once they leave the justice system, they're no longer tracked. But here we have the most law-abiding, uh, security-screened Canadians who actually, according to Statistics Canada, are three times less likely to be uh, to commit violent crime than an average Canadian, but yet we are put under scrutiny daily. So it's it's interesting. And now we're told that we're criminals. So it's uh, an interesting an interesting thing to look at because this if you know if this case uh, is one, it could be precedent setting, and not just for the firearms world, but for how parliamentarians uh, go about uh, creating policy, which is extremely important. And we've seen a decline in the uh, in our justice system through Bill C-75, which, by the way, was tabled the day that the House was rising for Easter. So they also, the Liberals knew that um, a lot of parliamentarians would be leaving early to travel home for Easter and so they thought they would try and sneak that in. And Bill C-75 was simply an act to amend the justice system, whereby they took all those serious crimes and made them summary convictions to try and catch up with the giant backlog in court. So, I mean, things like uh, human trafficking, uh, illegal importation and possession of a firearm, they're no longer considered serious crimes. They're basically a fine and two years less a day. So, and even at that, now they're just being let out of jail uh, due to COVID-19, so it begs the question, like, you know, it's like a self-licking ice cream cone. Like, where does where does the buck stop, you know? Um, but anyway, it is, so it's, it's really important for the CCFR to do this challenge. And uh, there's lots of uh, the other gun organizations have, um, you know, it's all, it's very important that they're all doing what they can to try and fight this. Uh, a lot of people think that all the gun orgs should come together and be one giant mighty force. But I have to say, you know, that that would probably be their worst mistake ever um, because each one of them provides something and they, they give a different angle to the uh, gun world and they represent gun owners in different ways. You know, like uh, the, the strength of the Taliban that the Russians fought for 30 years were in the fact that they didn't have big, large organized groups. They had little tiny groups and, they went out and, and did their own thing and they were hard to they were hard to kind of dismantle you know they never really did defeat them so in the same way you know like all the different orcs need to hit this at a different angle whatever way they can and it's great that the ccfr is stepping up to do that because that's one of the things that canadians have been basically screaming for um and it oh. gives gun owners hope you know well i totally agree alan you said something there I just find it rather ironic that they're making importing guns illegally, uh, which was which is really the root of our problems. Uh, they're making that a summary conviction, but possessing something that was acquired legally is now a five-year minimum sentence. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, heaven forbid you don't have a rivet in your magazine. It's a three-year mandatory minimum. And uh, you know, like I think I saw a good meme today. It's like I wish the government of Canada would treat like firearms re uh, owners as nice as they treat meth dealers. And you know what? That's another thing you touched on there, Alan. Was uh, the um, the U.S. firearms industry now? Um, Justin Trudeau and Bill Blair has have basically just really upset them as well because they've stopped imports and stuff into the country and tried to vilify gun owners. And 
You know, so I don't think they're winning any friends internationally either with this. I don't think Justin Trudeau is getting quite the amount of applause that he was hoping for, like the Prime Minister of New Zealand got. Yeah. Well, he's doing it for a different reason. And, and the, the, again, they're, they're not addressing the root cause, which um, it seems like they're actually going backwards away from the root cause based on what we know about, you know, the most recent the most recent gun violence um, and then making something and making the, the thing that the very thing that caused out a summary conviction. It just doesn't, just doesn't make any sense. And unfortunately it's because it's an easier problem to solve because we're all already on a list. Yeah, it definitely was a low hanging fruit. And I think it was a knee jerk reaction to the shooting that happened in Nova Scotia. Now what I, what I don't want to see, but I think we're probably going to see is in two years time, let's say, Theoretically, if all of these are now gone um, and something, another shooting were to happen, it's going to be an I told you so. You know what I mean? Like this is this is not going to stop anything. And we're seeing this from um, not only from from advocates within the community, but we're seeing it from even the chiefs of police across Canada saying this is going to have no impact on gun, gun violence, none whatsoever. This is not going to change anything. Um, and I, you know, in order for us to show them that, unfortunately, you know, bad events are probably going to happen again. And, and that's really, really unfortunate um, that it's going to come to that. Right. So and then they're, they're just going to look and point the finger and say, well, now we have to take more guns away. Right. So. They point to the failure of the previous legislation to justify more, right? Yeah, exactly. Fun times, to say the least. Well, should we move on to uh, what we've done lately for uh, preps? Yeah, so uh, for myself, um, I've done some small engine maintenance um, on generators, tractors, mower, tiller, uh, and so on. So that's all done for the year now. Um, and then also, um, funny, we are talking about this tonight, but the bug out bins uh, were checked and repacked. So um, unlike the get home bag and the, uh, the bug out bag, which I do twice a year at least, uh, the bug out bins I do once a year. So basically, just uh, I just have a checklist. I just go through them. Uh, to make sure that everything is still there, everything's still in good condition, make sure that anything that needs to be replenished, like batteries and uh, and all that kind of stuff, are are still okay. Um, so I did that over the weekend. It took me about two hours or so, uh, and that's what I did for this weekend. For this week, sorry. Right on. Uh, as for myself, I uh, tweaked the water collection system on the hay shed. So I had a east trough feeding into a big water tub and. Uh, Unfortunately, during the course of winter, I don't know what happened, but maybe with the freezing and thawing we had, uh, it basically split right where it was uh, joining the, the downspout. And so I was losing about half of the rain coming off the roof to the ground, and the other half was going to the tub. And uh, to make matters worse, with the extreme like pollen season we just had with all the cedar pollen and everything else flying around, I actually had about at least an inch of cedar pollen in the eaves trough, and it was actually like starting to like weigh, like to rip it off the wall. So it was falling apart. After one year, it was falling apart. It was pretty crazy. So I had to uh, clean it all out, put it back together, kind of uh, put some uh, silicone caulking on it and everything else. And yeah, collection efficiency has been increased on that one. Uh, the ranges are still uh, reopened again. So I took the wipe to the range. Uh, after the announcement from uh, Trudeau, she decided she'd just stick it to the man by taking her, um, her not-for-sporting-purposes sporting guns out uh, that were still legal. And so we uh, did some pistol shooting, had some good fun... Came away uh, from there with more brass than we got there with, so that was good. <laughs> and uh, did some good brass scrounging. Uh, a couple more CGN deals. I actually got to go on the Silver Core podcast. So uh, got the hat here as well from from Sweet Free Swag there. 
So I uh, was coming to work anyway, and so I was in the local area, and uh, Travis from the Silver Core Podcast arranged a socially distant, appropriate uh, podcast setup. He's got a great studio, but we were about eight feet apart, which was fantastic. <laughs> and uh, it was great. So it was uh, it was a good setup he had, and uh, that was a fun fun one to do. It was the first time I've ever done a podcast that wasn't live, per se, in a real studio. So that was kind of neat. Uh, yeah, I had to go to work. So too good for us now. <laughs> yeah, so they hit the big time. That's it. Uh, had to go to work, unfortunately. That that sucks, but uh, yeah, got to pay the bills. So um, here I am back at work, and uh, I got the greatest compliment ever from my daughter this week. She uh, asked me why we uh, need to keep bugging in because you know really life hasn't changed and it looks like everything's normal to her. So I was like, I guess I've done my job because <laughs> she hasn't seen too much hardship lately. So, anyways, that's pretty much all I did for uh, preps this week. I was just going to mention Ian for the Eastra. Uh, what they what I did is I found a new use for the drone. So instead of going to um, with a ladder on top of my roof to check all that kind of stuff, I actually used the drone to go up and then just do a flyover to see how bad everything was. Um, and it gave me an idea of which ones I actually had to fix. So that is an, that is an awesome idea. Like I. First of all, I wish I had a drone, but second of all, <laughs> I, actually, I really need to get even a small little tiny battery-powered one just for stuff exactly like that. That is a fantastic idea. I can just justify that to the wife now. That's perfect. Yeah, and I mean, you know, a Mavic Mini is like, I think they're running, like, if you get the Fly More, I think it's like $500 and you get like three batteries, but even like the standard one gives you like about half an hour's flying time. Um, and I mean, you're, you're limited to 400 feet in altitude, but that's actually quite high if you're flying 400 feet over your house you can actually see quite a bit of an area but oh, i was yeah. using it to do inspections on homes because i i have a friend of mine that does home inspections he's like i don't go on roofs anymore i just use a drone i do a fly around and then i sit down on my computer and i could take a look and see like the shape of everything i'm like shit so i brought the drone out and sure sure enough took me like five ten minutes and i inspected the whole roof so Oh wow! And so, like, doing that now too for estimating purposes. They're just flying a drone around the property, and off they go. Yeah. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Um, just, hey, Alan, just uh, turn up your turn up your volume just one notch there. But um, yeah, no, that's good. So, like, do you actually get live video off that, or is that? Uh... You do, yeah. So the one I have is the Mavic Mini. Um, so you have a remote control, and then your phone actually sits below it, um, and your phone has a live view of what the drone sees. Um, and the drone is supposed to have like a two-kilometer range, but you're supposed to fly it within line of sight anyway, so you need to be able to see the drone at all times. Um, and if you get the Mavic Mini in Canada, because it's under 250 grams, it's actually 249 grams. You don't need any licensing. You don't need any permits or all that kind of stuff. Um, so you just have to fly it safely. And, I mean, if you fly it around your house, then then you're fine. Perfect. I was going to ask you about that because the uh, the whole licensing thing now. So, Right. So there's two types of licenses. There's, um, I think there's the beginner and advanced. Um, but if you if your drone is less than 250 grams, which they made this one to be 249 grams to fly under the legislation, so to speak, um, you don't need any of that. As long as you fly it safely and you, you, know, you don't fly it into people, you're fine. So, Cool. Yep. Alan? Uh, nothing exciting. We're restocking the pantry. Uh, we depleted some stores a little bit over the last few weeks and uh, some general house things and getting ready to uh, hopefully build a build our actual raised beds if and when the snow finally stops around here. So that's uh, that's my big excitement for the week. Yeah, I was actually in Toronto yesterday and I couldn't believe we were actually driving through blizzards. <laughs> Gross. Yep, I was out, I was out <laughs> yesterday morning and yeah, it was it was definitely the snow squall weather in, in that was fantastic. Yeah, it's just shocking at this time of year. But Colin, what do you got? Uh anything up to uh actually I'm getting to the point now where I get up at five in the morning and I'm running until I pass out at 
nine, nine thirty at night because I've started a whole bunch of seeds and it becomes like a bit of a snowball effect. You roll the snowball down the hill and it gets bigger as it goes. Yeah. So I, I uh, transplanted some uh, yellow beans, which are now about two feet tall. They're in the house still. And uh, tomatoes. Um, I cleaned out some eaves trough, set up my rain barrel. I got that sorted out. And the garden, I've been uh, slowly working at that. I finally got rid of all the stumps out of that flower bed. There was only four giant stumps in there, but I got them all gone. And uh, cleaning up a lot of blind spots around the house, a lot of pruning, uh, leaf raking. I did a dump run. I'm adding uh, extra security cameras to the property. Um, uh, there's a lot of kids at home right now, and they have nothing better to do than terrorize the neighborhood. So I just, I like to have a few extra cameras up just to, you know, keep everyone honest. And um, see what else. Some pickling, more cooking. Um, a couple supply runs getting ready for uh, canning season. So I sourced a lot of jars for canning. Uh, my pressure canner came in the mail as well. So I had to go down to Giant Tiger and pick that up. Nice. What uh, model did you get there? I got the uh, press, I think it's called a Presto. Uh, Presto 23 quart. And it, um, it looks pretty awesome. It's nice. You can use it on induction stoves, gas. You can use it basically on anything. But because it's primarily made out of aluminum, you have to be careful on gas because you can melt it quite easily or warp it. So uh, um, you just have to be mindful of that. But uh, what else did I do? Oh, I bottled uh, a batch of Pinot Noir. It actually turned out pretty awesome. So it was impressive. And I had to improvise. Uh, so I have a batch of um, I have a batch of uh, sugar and water on the go because I'm planning on distilling it because I do a lot of extractions with it. You know, I extract uh, THC and CBD for edibles you know i'm a, a medical patient so i um i use some grain alcohol for that and the only place you can buy it is in quebec but since the border shut down i'm forced to basically make it myself so i stocked up on some turbo yeast and that's on the go and borrowed a friend's uh still however i had to improvise because the thread pitch was different between my tap and his and I can't just wander around a hardware store to just pick through bins and find what I needed. So I actually had to do it through Walmart. So between RV supplies and the garden center, I got something figured out for my cold water supply going in. And uh, I think it's going to work fine. So we'll see probably by mid next week. Everything should be fine. Uh, we're going to give it a run and see how it goes. I had no problems in the past, though. It's a whole lot cheaper. You know, 1.17 liters uh, that I, of alcohol would be about $70, but I can make four liters of 190 proof for under $20, so. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah exactly. Necessity is the mother of invention, I guess, right? It is, yeah. So that's, in essence, what I've done for the week. I've been just going non-stop it's usually at the end of the day i go through my checklist and be like oh i forgot this i forgot that it's added into tomorrow's day and then i just seem to be getting up earlier and earlier but that's okay you know the sun's up at five so am i so 
that's that's kind of the way I've been going too. When I'm not at work now, it's like you know when the, the rooster starts crowing, it's obviously time to get up. And you know, once it gets dark, it's like yeah, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, that's go go go. It's uh, I didn't get bored in my time off from work. That's for sure. There's always something to do. But anyways, uh, moving on to the main topic, guys. Yep. All right. So uh, here to talk about bugging out, whether or not we should stay or go, I guess. So starting off with the definition of a bug out, I put a Wikipedia article in there uh, describing the original bug out bag and what the term came from. Actually, I thought it was Vietnam, but it turns out it came from the Korean War. And uh, basically talking about if guys had to retreat to a pre-specified location, they would bug out to it. And that's kind of a term we all latched onto in the preparedness world. So I think uh, everybody has their, their pet topics and preparedness, but uh, this one gets talked about a lot, I guess, too, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of the bread bread and butter of like a prepper, right? I mean, you're either going to bug in and stay at your location, or you're going to bug out and, you know, get get the hell out of there, right? So um, on top of all the preps, I think you, you have to understand when it's time to stay and when it's time to go. So again, I think prepping is not just about what you accumulate, but um, like processes and SOPs and all that kind of stuff that you establish for yourself to understand um, when it's time to go because it's not safe anymore to stay where yeah. you are, I guess. I yeah. uh, love that meme uh, that uh, I think Adriel from the Hunting Gear guy there, he put out on the uh, Facebook, it was like, uh, grab an SKS, go in the woods in case of emergency. <laughs> it's like, it was, it was awesome. But then what? So, yeah. Um, guys, feel free to... a whole lot worse than that. Exactly. You could do definitely a lot worse. You, you know, uh, yeah, guys hop in for sure. I'll just start blabbing here. But um, So, yeah, I guess we're deciding if we, we stay or go. If we de- if you do go, a couple things to think about is, like, you know, all your gear that you've stored up, like Hughes mentioned, your tools, everything that you've uh, got at home, you have to pretty much leave behind because, you know, you can't carry it all, even in a vehicle or whatever. So it's, it's something you really have to think hard about and long about. And I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things you have to think about. It's you have to think about, you know, um, if I'm going, where am I going, right? And what are the routes that are available to me that are still open to get there? Um, what vehicle am I going to take? Like, we have two vehicles here in my family. I'd rather not split us up between two vehicles. I'd rather take one vehicle. Um, so it's kind of these things. And then, and then also, um, you know, I once had in my mind that, um, so basically, I'll just kind of step back. I've got a truck and a 6x12 enclosed trailer that I use to kind of pack everything in and then go. So I thought to myself, you know what? How long is it going to take to pack my family and that trailer with everything I need? I thought maybe 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. It's like two hours. So realistically, if you want to pack an ATV, bins, fuel, food, kids, bug out bags, uh, entertainment for the kids because it's going to be a long car, right? Like you have to think about this stuff, right? And it's, gonna, it's not going to take you 25 minutes. It takes me 10 minutes to hook up a trailer on the best days, right? So, uh, you know, understanding this, you have to say, you know, if I'm going to bug out and I have to leave where I am, you know, I have to make the decisions, not not with five minutes before I have to go, but like two hours before I have to go. You have to make that call. Um, and then if not, you have to be ready. You have to have the trailer pack. You have to have it hooked up to the truck and all that kind of stuff. So these are things that you have to take into consideration. You're not going to know that until you actually run through an exercise of how long does it take to pack the vehicle? How long does it take to pack the trailer and all that kind of stuff? So these are things that you really have to consider, not just, you know, when when is a good time to go, but where where, where am I going? What am I taking? Um, and how long is it going to take to pack everything? 
was a big difference between bugging out to a hotel room because your house burned down or, or bugging out to the woods because the Russians just invaded or something. You know, like there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of scenarios you can run through your head, right? Right. I mean, bugging out to a hotel room because your house is burned, burned down, I mean, there's not going to be much left for, for me to take. But, um, and also, if you think about, you know, when's a good time to bug out? It's like, you know, obviously everything's here. So my preference is to bug in. But if I'm, if I'm mandated, if it's, if it's a government mandated police enforced evacuation of an area, I'm not going to have a choice. And sometimes, they come to your door and they give you half an hour uh, to pack, right? So then you have to prioritize, you know, what am I, what am I going to pack in the next half hour? So what I had done is I made a list of everything that needs to go in the trailer. If I have all the time in the world, here's a list of everything I need to pack. And then I kind of prioritize them, kind of like a DEF CON thing, DEF CON 1, 2, 3, 4. If I'm given half an hour, this is what I'm going to pack. If I'm given an hour, this is what I'm going to pack. If I'm given two days, this is what I'm going to pack. So that gives you an idea that within a half hour, I'll be able to get everything I need to survive for like two weeks or three weeks. If I have two days to pack, I can have everything I need to survive for weeks, weeks or more, right? Mm-hmm. As I was going to yeah. say, for, oh, oh, go ahead, Colin. Well, I'm just thinking about times I actually did have to bug out. Um, I mean, serving the military, I remember uh, my first real big experience with that was with the DART team, the disaster assistance response team. Uh, we had been out shooting for the day and we were at uh, the weapons vault turning in our rifles. And we were told that uh, Winnipeg was uh, under a giant uh, flood and that we were on 24 hours notice to move. By the time I went and turned my rifle in and came back outside, it was go home, get your kit, meet us back here in two hours. And we don't know when we'll be back. So I went home and I already had my uh, bug out kit packed for work, but knowing that I was going to a flood, I wanted to bring extra stuff. So I was throwing stuff in a barrack box and my wife at the time came downstairs, said, uh, oh, what are you doing? Well, I'm leaving. I'm going to Winnipeg. When are you coming home? I don't know. So it was different. You know, I just kind of threw anything that would fit in there and then it basically had to sit on my barrack box to get it closed because I didn't know what I was facing. So it's, it really depends on the scenario, but... Uh, typically speaking, I would t- tend to say that uh, you stay where you're at because everything you have is here. I mean, even the convenience of a bathroom, having a shower, um, running 100%. water, yeah. uh, you know, a stove to cook on. And if that fails, you know, you got maybe your barbecue you could cook on outside. Or if that fails, you know, some people have a wood stove inside. These are all things that may or may not be available to you elsewhere. And also, uh, you know, when you do leave, how many of you uh, have the presence of mind to double check things before you leave? I know that when I'm under stress, I forget things. Like a, on a normal day without any stress, I have a hard time finding my keys, wallet, and glasses just to get out the door, go to the store to buy a few uh, supplies, you know? So I'm being um, prepared, having a list, like you was saying, is uh, essential. Yeah. I'm seeing two questions here on Facebook, one from Blake and Tia. Uh, it says, what do you do if you can't get to your bug out location? You've already left your house. That's a really, really important um, thing that you've got to think about. So obviously, you know, the prepper rule of, you know, one is none and two is one. Um, you know, if you can have multiple locations, you can bug out to whether that's, you know, a cottage, um, a friend's property, you know, a hundred miles away, it could be a campground, could be, um, you know, just, just an area in the woods that you go hunting that you're familiar with, have a, have different options available to you. And if the location you're going to is not avail- available, pull over some 
somewhere safe, stop, reassess the situation and make a determination as to where you're going to head next. Um, you know, that was a really good question. And I, I, I think it's worth uh, noting that, you know, in the world of preparedness, having multiple areas you can bug out to is important. So relying on one bug out local location is, is you know, you're, you're preparing yourself to fail because if that place is not available to you and you've left your prior, your, your primary uh, residence, um, it's, it's not going to be fun because then you're going to be stuck in limbo between two properties that you can't access, right? Well, not even if it's not available. What if it's just not accessible, like a bridge is out or a car accident, highways blocked, whatever, and time's critical. Yeah, you might have to go to an alternate one. That also lends to the point of having your, your get home bag uh, give you some flexibility, right? So if your get home bag only gets you 50 miles because that's your only focus, then you're doing yourself a disservice because what happens just like in the question right if you can't get home if you can't get to your primary destination you've got to get somewhere else do you does your does your your uh your car and your bag allow for that uh, so it's uh you know, ideally you want to go you want to go home and get all your stuff but if you can't then change directions and change your plan and i see another question here um from Philip that says a big thank you. Uh, people forget when it comes time to bugging out is sorry, when it comes to bugging out is when. So set benchmark when it's go time and be very cautious about second guessing your decision in a calm time. Um, and that's really that's that's a really important point as well. Just like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, to me that go time is based on the sheet that I have. So again, like, you know, DEFCON one, two, three, four, um, if I'm given half an hour. So I know that at, at the half hour mark, I've only got enough time to pack this much and then I've got to go. Right. Um, you know, sometimes you'll be given, you know, if it's a flood, you're probably going to know, you know, a day or two in advance that you're probably going to have to leave. If it's a forest fire, you may only get 20 minutes. Right. Um, and you're probably not going to come back to your house because if the forest fire comes through your property, it's probably going to burn your house out to the ground, right? So at that point, it's look looking at your list, and it's it's maybe more so of, um, you know, what can I grab that has some sentimental value, value, value as well. So make sure that those things are included because if you know you're never going to come back to this property because if it's, if, if it's a forest fire, things on the list that are don't seem to be. Um, of a preparedness mindset, like family albums, um, you know, family heirlooms and keepsakes and all that stuff. Those are just as important in some situations. Obviously, if you know that it's it's a natural disaster, you're going to have to flee your home. You're not going to be able to come back to it. Probably, ch chances are, because the house is going to burn to the ground. Um, but you know, there's going to be help available for you because it's not going to be, you know, a province-wide or, or statewide or not or like a national disaster. So those are things you have to take into consideration as well as what type. Of, of issue or event is forcing me out of my home and make the decisions around what you need to take. Does that make sense? Yeah, because everything else is replaceable, uh, except for like the birth certificates, the heirlooms, everything else, the pictures, like the, the hard pictures, not the digital ones. Right, right. Uh, because yeah, like in normal times, yeah, you can still go to the grocery store and restock your food if you want or whatever. Right, and I mean, we've had, you know, here where I am on, on the East Coast, we've had actually a few years ago, about a, a decade ago, we had a, a forest fire that came through and it only destroyed a few homes. But um, this was a forest fire that only consumed about 20 square kilometers. So in, in the world of forest fires, this is quite small, but for the people that were directly affected, um, it affected them in a huge way, right? But, you know, stepping out of this community where a forest fire was, the, the remainder of the province and the community 
communities surrounding it were okay. So things like hotels and, and corner stores and grocery stores, these were all intact. So these people were able to, you know, live a fairly normal life outside of the fact that they lost their, their home because all the essential services and um, everything that we come to expect from a f- normal functioning society were still there. Um, this was not like, you know, a province-wide or statewide forest fire that wiped, that, that wiped out a million homes, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, interesting. Uh, I think Sean Hampton mentioned that they're going to bug it until people start eating the zoo animals. <laughs> probably not a bad idea because they're going to probably start eating humans next if they run out of food, I suppose. But yeah, no, it's uh, again, it's, it's a funny example, but it's still, yeah, if you've set your benchmark, that's the time to leave. That's that's the time to leave. Well, talking about that, I think there was a zoo in Europe um, recently that were saying because of the pandemic that they basically didn't have the money to buy food for their animals. So they were basically preparing a list of which animals they were going to call first to feed to the other animals to get through the pandemic. And, you know, it's not something a zoo would want to ever do, obviously, but, you know, they have to do it to survive, I guess. So I guess the, the most replaceable first. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, down in, <laughs> down in Venezuela, that's what they've been doing because they've been, had, had break-ins with the zoos because people are starving because they can't get fresh meat. So they're, they're cleaning out the zoos at night, of course. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, for me, for bugging out, bugging out we'll go. sorry, go ahead, Al. One elephant feeds a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it's like uh, basically unless I'm facing extreme risk, I'm planning on staying home as well. So I plan on bugging it, bugging in for the most part. Uh, but, you know, a couple of extreme risk examples would be like Fort McMurray is just the best one I think I can think of in the, in the recent history as far as like a compelling reason to leave. I mean, uh, you know, I guess if things were like completely haywire, there's a superior horde of like what we call zombie motorcycle gangs outside your door or whatever that's like looking to get your supplies. Yeah, you're probably not going to win that one. But uh, of course, you wouldn't have any notice for that one. But a forest fire, Fort McMurray, same idea. So you might have 15 minutes notice. Do you really want to stop at the gas station or think of what you need to take or do you want to be all ready to go? Especially if there's only one road in and out of town. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a really important thing is, is in addition to deciding when and where is how you're going to get there because the, the, you know, the rule of two is one, one is none. If there's only one road out of town and it gets blocked, then you're in real trouble. Having another way, that's where you know having an ATV or uh, even just a 4 by 4 quick vehicle that will get you there. Um, you know, to, to expand on Hughes' plan, if, if he had to abandon his trailer because there wasn't enough you know you had to uh, had to go off road with it and couldn't take it with him how much of that stuff can he fit into his into the back of the truck and how and what is it that gets priority so same thing with that list what gets priority into the truck and what has to be left behind well yeah and <clears throat> sorry you, you go ahead ian oh no no go ahead I was going to say some some other important factors when it comes to to bugging out. I mean, you know, as as a prepper, um, I tend to leave my truck at three quarters tank or, or you know three quarter tanks full or more um, at all times. And you have to understand, um, you know, if I've got five people in the truck, the bed is way weighted down, the trailer's hooked up, it's way way weighted down. How much range do I have in a full tank of gas? Um, because if you think about the bug out locations that you have, how far away are they, and can you get there on a single tank of gas? If you can't. You know, you either have to bring more fuel because you can't rely on gas stations being open. Um, depending on the nature of the emergency and where the emergency is happening as forcing you out of your home, you can't rely on gas stations being open or even having fuel. Um, you know, we've seen um, disasters like localized disasters here, like hurricanes, um, you know, wipe out fuel stations of fuel for days. 
Um, and, and that's just because of the, the way the supply chain works. If too many people go get gas, the stations are going to run out of gas and it takes them, it takes the supply chain a few days to catch up, right? Same thing if you have an emergency, everyone fleeing town is going to stop on the highway to fill up their car and you're not going to be able to rely on that type of fuel, fuel, right? So these are just things to, to consider as well. Well, you mentioned the, during the, uh, the blackout in 2003, we had the same problem where fuel stations couldn't pump gas because there was no electricity for it. Um, so the the range of why that's a problem is a big deal. And you're absolutely right. If you can't get there on one tank of gas or whatever's in your gas tank, then it's too far away. So you either need a fuel reserve, you need to be able to resupply reliably, or you need a, a slightly closer and, uh, and typically, like I, I have 200 liters of fuel here um, that I would bring with me. So I know how much 200 liters of fuel will get me with a fully weighted down trailer and truck and all that kind of stuff. But understanding that I also need that fuel for DATV, I need it for the generator. Um, so I'd rather not drive until I'm dry, so, so to speak, and then get to somewhere I'm going without any fuel for DATV or the generator and all that kind of stuff. Because that's that stuff is important as well. Well, you touched on weight there too. Uh, he was, I mean, that's such a huge issue because, you know, you think about everything you heave in the back of the truck for just a weekend camping trip. <laughs> and then you know, it would, the supplies you're going to need to uh, to survive for more than a few days, uh, that's going to be such an exponentially larger number for weight. Um, yeah, it adds up fast. Yeah, it, it adds up. It adds up in a hurry. And I mean, even like the trailer that I have, like I said, six by 12, by the time you put the ATV in there, and puts, I mean, the ATV take takes up at least 50 to 60% of that trailer. So sometimes I really got to think, am I going to take this or not? But to me, it's a second vehicle. It's something that can go off-road a lot better than my truck can, even though my truck is quite capable off-road. Um, you know, I've got a two-inch hitch on the ATV that can move its own trailer. So if I needed to, I can unhook the trailer from the truck and have the ATV move the trailer, probably empty. Uh, but if I needed to get the trailer in a really tight spot, I would use the ATV instead of the truck. So just, just thinking about those things. And again, you know, if I couldn't bring the ATV, so be it. It would just be a nice tool to have, right? So... Yeah. Well, I think Colin touched on it. I just didn't have time to get back to it there, but like the shelter in the long term is an issue as well. Cause you mentioned, you know, camping out of the house, which is a good idea because I mean, if you're bugging out to some wilderness area and, and, you know, falls approaching, winter's approaching or whatever, I think I'd rather be in a house that has like four inches of insulation in the walls versus like a tent. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's no different than a plane crash. You know, you're better <laughs> off to stay where the, you know, if you're, you're a survivor and I, I met a, uh, our old uh, CEO of 3RCR there, he um, survived a plane crash in the Arctic and he probably wouldn't have fared out too well if he left the aircraft. I mean, you have to use use what's available to you to get by, you know? Well, that's, Hopefully that's there's a lot of fuel in the wings. <laughs> well, there, yeah, there, well, as long as it's not on fire, right? Uh, right. But yeah, no, that's actually number one rule with plane crashes. Uh, I guess the cat's out of the bag. I was talking to Travis on the Silvercore podcast. So, of course, I used to fly up in the in the Arctic uh, back in the day. And that was number one rule. Yeah, stay with the airplane because they're going to find you faster with the emergency locator transmitter. You've usually got survival gear. You've got the fuel. You've got shelter from the wind. And that's huge, right? Um, so, yeah, don't leave the airplane. But... Uh, <laughs> That's certainly one thing, but yeah. So between the shelter with camping in the house and everything else, think about it, even if you do a bug out to a hotel, then you've got to worry about hotel costs. If you uh, if you're like crashing at somebody's house, do you have to barter some goods in exchange for the shelter, or like you know you have a, some sort of a debt in, in, incurred there? Um, obviously, much better off to be a little more self reliant than being dependent on other people uh, for your situation. So that's why I'm kind of more leaning more towards a bugging in case of extreme, you know, unless there's an extreme event, but. 
Yeah, and also think about, you know, what are the possible reasons that you would be forced to bug out? I mean, if there's something like a natural disaster, like a forest fire, a flood, these are things that are probably going to have to leave your home. Um, a hurricane, typically you tell people to shelter in place if it's a small enough hurricane, if it's too big, then they, that's that's the thing. If it's a big hurricane, which we typically don't get in Canada, but, you know, folks in the southern U.S. and on the eastern seaboard are typically used to, to these where they basically have to evacuate entire states. And then you have, you know, states like Florida that have, what, 30 million people or 20 million people that have to evacuate to, to neighboring states. That's going to fill up all the hotels and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, think about the reasons that you may have to bug out of your area. Think about what's happened in the last 20 years in your area, whether it be tornadoes or forest fires, flooding, natural disasters, um, anything of that sorts, and, and just understand what your possible exit routes could be and where you could possibly go um, based on the amount of fuel that you can carry. Because again, you know, if I only have a 500 kilometer range with my truck, but my cottage is 700 kilometers away, that's really no good unless I plan to carry an extra amount of fuel to get me that extra 200 kilometers to get safely to the cottage. Yeah. In, in essence, you're becoming a refugee by choosing to bug out, right? Um, right. Because most of your preps are being left at home, so it's leveling the playing field and just as in a shitty situation as everybody else, basically. <laughs> it's not uh, it's not a good thing to do. Uh, one thing I just want to touch on, too, is the stress. Um, you know, if you tell your family that you've got 15 minutes to grab your teddy bear, your, your overnight bag, a couple pairs of underwear, and leave, it causes a lot of stress to a lot of people, right? Especially if they don't know where they're going or they don't know what's going on or whatever. You're just telling them to pack. Don't ask questions, you know. Right. Uh, you got to think about the stress that you're inducing a lot on a lot of people there. And in a case like that, I mean, you'd want to, you know, I know I'd want to tell my spouse, you know, just make sure you get the kids and get what you need for the kids and get them in the vehicle. I'll handle everything else. Right. Um, just make sure you get, you get the kids, get some form of entertainment, get snacks, get whatever you think you're going to need for the next few hours and the next day or two, at least get that done, get, get them in the truck and I'll take care of everything else. Um, because at that point it's going to be a lot of stress on your spouse and your kids that you're trying to, to limit that as well, because the better off they are, the better off you're going to be as well. Well, I guess pre briefing on that. Go ahead, go. I was uh, going to say, I try and keep everything uh, like a holographic image. You know, you can cut that, film slide any which way and shine a light through it and you still get the same image it's just um you know like i have the same stuff in my truck that i have in my house that i have in uh, let's say a bag it's just they're different varying degrees of the same thing there's food in the truck there's you know shelter in the truck there's a way to cook in the truck but there's also that stuff here so you know that leaves you a quicker option if you have to leave in a hurry you could just go and at least you have something to get you started. Um, you know, it's a start, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about uh, using vehicles too, but a lot of guys, you know, have the fantasy about bugging out on foot with their, their SKS into the woods. <laughs> it's like uh, about weight, weight constraints. Uh, that's going to be huge, right? Uh, unless you've got titanium everything as far as camping gear goes and, you know, forget about bringing a firearm or anything else. It, that's pretty extreme camping you're going to be doing. But, so but think about think about how quickly you can move through the woods, like thick, dense brush like we have here on the East Coast. I, I don't know what it's like on the West Coast, but like trying to navigate through, the, through, through that, you may be making headway of maybe three kilometers an hour tops. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're running for the first half hour, but you're going to exhaust yourself in a hurry and you're not going to cover a lot of ground at all. So. Yeah. 
No, basically, on what you're trying. I mean, if you're trying to skip forest fire on foot, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like you know, those things move like 20, 25 kilometers an hour at, at, in in some some places, right? Depending if it's uphill or downhill or what, right? So, well, I've seen those uh, those mono wheelers that like you can drag behind you that got one wheel and it's kind of like a uh, pack that's on an angle and stuff. I mean, something like that would kind of increase the weight you could carry, but of course, it's going to slow you down, which negates the benefit of being on foot that's like a cross country sled in the winter or um, yeah. those, those things i mean they're they're possible but again i mean my first option would be that that very expensive truck that i pay for it's i'm gonna put it to work and it's gonna it's gonna earn its keep there so yeah last last weekend two weekends ago last weekend i did a 20 25k hike with my get home bag it was probably 35 pounds and by the end of 25k with that bag on my with that bag on my back um and it was marked trails like it was a, i was on trails the entire time i wasn't breaking bush that was hard work man I, I would not recommend that unless you absolutely had to it's good practice though oh it's great practice i plan to do it again next weekend but um it was uh it, it's not it's not a way to get anywhere fast Right? Yeah. Especially if you're not, especially if you're you're trying to go in a straight line as opposed to following a trail, it's just not going to go well for you. Plain and simple. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, before I forget, nothing fancy. Uh, the YouTube star there did a uh, multi-part episode on bugging out uh, on foot, and with the <laughs> you should see the massive rolly bag he has on that thing. It is. It's got to be hundred plus pounds. But uh, yeah, even he is as a gun reviewer did not bring guns with him, which I just thought was kind of amazing. And and also I think one one thing like um you know I'm I think I'm I'm of the same mindset like bugging out is going to be the absolute last thing I want to do because everything I have everything I'm comfortable with is here at home, um you know the risk that you take with bugging out as well is that you know if you're bugging out chances are your neighbors are as well um and and if not then they probably should. if I'm leaving my house it's probably time for them to leave as well, so then you have to think about things like looters. Um, because, you know, when you have a very large area where everyone has been displaced um, and, you know, the police are kind of blocking roads and all that kind of stuff, if somebody makes it back into that area or if somebody stays behind in that area, there's the possibility that your place is going to get uh, looted as well, right? So that plays into my mindset of whether I stay in or go out is that I'm less likely to get looted, obviously, if I'm home than if I'm not there, right? So... Well, if you I'd say if it's bad enough that you're bugging out, you got to assume that you're not coming back to anything. That's that's exactly it. So anything of value um, is is going to come with me, right? So as as much as I can take that stuff. So I mean, you have to find a fine balance between you know stuff of of value that's going to have no impact on your survival and and the stuff that you actually need to survive. Because again, if you're not going to come back, you know what? At the end of the day, the insurance is going to replace the house. The insurance is going to replace the contents. I don't really care about the house at that point. But there's a lot of things that insurance can't replace that I want to make sure that I have for my new home. So I think those are just as important as the things that you're going to need to survive. And I think you need to build it into your bug out plan. Um, obviously it's not going to be like, you know, the DEF CON one stuff. So if I need to leave immediately within like the next 15 to 20 minutes, I may not be able to grab all that stuff. But if you keep that stuff in one or two places, like a safe or, you know, some other type of safe container, take that with it with you. If that's going to have, like you, you mentioned earlier, all your marriage certificate, birth certificates, um, investment documents and jewelry and all that kind of stuff. Make sure you take that as well. Actually, Brent brought up a good point there. He lives uh, two hours north of Toronto. I will bug out when uh, the Toronto cottagers start to bug out in mass here. Um, 
well, hopefully you're ahead of them because I know what the 400s like when you the guys start heading northbound out of Toronto on a long weekend. So uh, yeah, you want to be ahead of that golden horde. I'm thinking for sure. I've heard people say it's like six or seven hours drive to get to cottage country on, yeah. on a long weekend, right? So well, so I used to live in Barrie, which is right up the 400 from Toronto, and uh, so on a on a Friday night northbound, Sunday night southbound, or the end of the long weekend, whatever that happened to be. You didn't go on the highway because it was like literally a crawl and uh, there'd be 100 yards to the west, there'd be the number five side road. You could literally go zooming up at 80K up that thing. And because nobody could even have the foresight to plan an alternate route or consider taking one, they would just like sheepishly go along with the person right in front of them and go at the maybe 15 kilometers an hour tops. And uh, yeah, I'd still make it home maybe an extra 15 minutes on the side roads. It is mind blowing. You know, a lot of. A mistake people make when bugging out, too, is you have to consider to yourself, you know, am I taking something that I can get along the way or not? Uh, I did a lot of air mobile operations in the military, and often we would get dropped off by helicopter, and what we carried on our back was good for three days. So after radios and uh, batteries and water and ammo... Basically, my personal items were a pair of socks, a pair of underwear, a spare set of combats, and a rain suit. That's it. And and that's luxury right there. And, uh, you know, it's funny because at one time we were taking an officer with us, and uh, his rucksack weighed probably 140 pounds. But he had, he had, like, to change his mindset because he had a pencil case with, like, a hole punch and a stapler and, <laughs> like, like, Buds, you're not doing memos in the field. We're just sounds like the guy in Saving Private Ryan that tries to take his typewriter into the field. Like (laughs) exactly, (laughs) you just have to you have to you know change your mindset to let go of comfort items and realize what are priorities. Like uh, medications that are absolutely required for myself. I'm diabetic. Yeah, I'm grabbing some insulin. I'm taking that with me. Yeah. Can I get Can I get food anywhere? Sure. Can I get water anywhere? Probably. Um, you know, I think as it's a long good point. As yeah, you know, dry, and uh, if you could stay dry and stay have a spare change of clothes that you can get into at nighttime when you sleep to get dry, you know, guess what? You can survive putting that wet clothes back on the morning to carry on with your march as long as you know at the end of the day you still have something dry to put on and when you rest. And something to think about too, at least in my my mindset, is that you know if I'm bugging out to let's say my cottage is four hours away, and I'm bugging away from a localized natural emergency like a forest fire, let's say, right? And four hours away, this has no impact. Um, so I'm not I'm I'm basically of the mindset that I'm not going to be able to get anything like fuel, food, water between myself and where I'm going. But if those things are available along my route, I'm definitely going to stop and replenish what I can when I can. Because what I don't I don't want to do is I don't want to get to the cottage with one eighth of a tank of fuel, right? If I if there's a gas station 20 minutes before I get to the cottage, I'm going to stop. I'm going to refuel. I'm going to grab all the food that I can, all the water that I can, all the stuff that I think I'm going to need because that is a great time to stop and re- replenish. It's just that I plan for that stuff to not be available. But if it is, definitely stop and make use of it 100%. Absolutely. A couple of things, uh, points I want to cover off too, people don't always think about uh, bugging out with animals. If you have a, uh, a biological, like a beloved family pet that functions as a guard dog and or, uh, you know, emotional support animal, you never know. Um, yeah, you got to concern, be concerned with their welfare. So food for the animals, uh, animal equipment might be just a leash that you can tie them up at or keep them from getting away from the campsite. Um, yeah, anything they might particularly need. 
something to think about as well and space for them in the in the truck and also one thing we didn't mention like i mentioned i've got an enclosed trailer but um for those of you that have a trailer like camper right like a a a bumper pole you know either like a 20 foot or a 30 foot camper you're well ahead of the game i mean you've got a house on wheels um that you probably know how to pack fairly quickly because you're trying to get out on a friday afternoon to go for the for the week weekend um it's just a matter of making a list of the things that you need to bring in that trailer to get out of there and understanding what kind of range you have towing that type of trade of a of a trailer right but i mean if you're not bugging out their cottage or anything if you know of an area um you know a clearing in 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 woods where you're used to hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff that you know you can readily access with with that trailer you're well ahead of the game again you've got a house on wheels um that thing has a bathroom has comfort has probably satellite television has a full kitchen i mean you know if you were if you're on the fence about buying one and you needed another re- reason you know I mean, I, I just gotta figure out how they can jack up like an RV, like a 19 foot RV or something, get like a six inch lift kit <laughs> on or something. I don't know. There's gotta be some way to there's do that. There's actually, yeah. So that's the thing is that there's there's some that are made for like more wilderness type areas that actually have a beefier suspension that are actually um, a lot higher up off the ground. Um, and most of the RVs that you're gonna buy are, are actually what's called a three season RV. So it's really, really made for like spring, summer, fall, summer, four season where they have the extra um, insulation required for wintertime camp. Being, um, all of the plumbing and everything is insulated as well, so that stuff is not going to freeze in winter wintertime. Um, yeah, there's the added expense of buying those, but I mean, if you look at when you could possibly be using it or whether you're going to need to use it in a bug out situation in the wintertime, um, that's that's an option there. Now, chances are it's going to be winterized during the wintertime, um, but you can unwinterize it fairly, fairly quickly, right? So, Well, part of uh, with that trailer, though, too, is you want to make sure you keep the propane tanks full and everything else. Don't leave them empty at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure the tanks are filled back up uh, when you're done with them. Yeah. Uh, Freya brings up a good point. Uh, see here. So if you're bugging out fast and you can't bring large animals such as horses with you, uh, and this comes into the forest fire idea as well, or flooding or whatever, make sure to let them loose or at least uh, cut open corners of the paddock so they can escape. We have the same plan in place with our, our livestock, our la- uh, alpacas right now, because there's no way we're carrying them with us. They're kind of ornery at the best of times. So our plan is to just basically open up the gate to the crown land, let them move loose. There's plenty of food and water back there and they can outrun pretty much anything. So trust me, there's only so many alpacas around. I'll get them back. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody will see them or mistake them for a deer. One or two. Uh, yeah. So I'm not too worried about that, but yeah, obviously you should have a plan in place for all your livestock, you know, chickens, uh, you know, alpacas, whatever. Cause at least the chickens, if they're outside of the run, they can at least run away from stuff too. So, uh, if not fly, uh, see here she also mentions that uh keeping spray paint to spray your phone number on a horse uh can help them locate them later um same thing you can put a zip tie with a little note on it you can do like spray paint you can there's all sorts of ways to do it like in certain neighborhoods everybody knows everybody else's animals so if if they don't have to go that far it's pretty easy to round them up hopefully dogs have dog tags everything else should be a, a good way to do it now do you you don't microchip like alpacas and stuff like that like you were dogs and so on right you can uh like a lot of uh, livestock comes with an ear tag that has right. a, a GPS positioning tracker in it already. Really? Just screw on your tinfoil hat there. Uh, yeah, with a lot of livestock in BC, you can't let them off your property, to, even to go to market, unless they have a GPS tag in them. And because uh, oh, right. they want they want to know where the uh, the livestock's going. So yeah, and there's also uh, another tag that actually has a slow release hormone too for for certain animals too for growth hormone. Yeah. There you I go. thought we couldn't use those in Canada. Well, it depends on what animal you're talking, though, too. So, oh, if, like, if it's a dairy cow, then you're not allowed to, right? No. I guess there's no, no hormones allowed in dairy products. 
So right. Okay. Anyway, uh, what else is we going to talk about here? So living off the land, that's another thing. So as they grab their SKS, they run off into the woods with just the shirt on their back and the SKS in five rounds. Uh, they figure they're going to live <laughs> off the land. I hate to burst their bubble, but uh, interesting factoid here with this current pandemic thing going on. Um, there's a bunch of people that are out of work right now, and we've heard a lot of gunshots that night uh, behind uh, a house on the Crown Land, and I don't think they were target shooting. So uh, I've noticed a distinct uh, decline in the amount of livestock floating around, or sorry, wildlife floating around, like deer, and, and I haven't seen any bear in bear season, which is amazing. I was expecting to see lots by now. So I'm going to go on a limb and assume the area is already hunted out, and this is on a mild emergency. So you can imagine how fast things get hunted out in a, in a major emergency. And you're in the lower mainland, right? So it's well, I'm on the island. Well, I'm currently on the lower mainland, but I I live, of course, on the island. And, right. Uh, okay. But, Literally, there's 10 million acres of crown land behind me, or empty land anyway. And uh, normally, it's teeming with lots of stuff, but it's all disappeared. Wow. Yeah. And so, like, uh, it's almost every night we've been hearing gunshots. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's it's at night. So, <laughs> anyway. It's uh, not at dusk. It's, it's at night. <laughs> that? It's not, like, right at dusk where it's, like, a questionable shot. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> it, it's, like, 11 p.m., 2 in the morning, that type of thing. So... Yeah, unless there's some really yeah. avid target shooters with IR scopes and. <laughs> well, that's like when we go deer hunting, and I mean, you know, we we follow the you know thirty minutes before dawn and thirty minutes after dusk type rules, all all kind of stuff. But I mean, we'll be sitting around a campfire at eleven o'clock at night and hear shots, and it's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. So, just turns out criminals don't follow laws, or maybe some people have the right to, sh to hunt year round at night. So you never know. Anyway, uh, home invaders. Uh, we talked about, I talked to that briefly with the, the motorcycle gang hanging outside your house. I mean, how many people are really going to be sit, ready to sit down and, and duke it out with people that want to take your stores? So there's something to consider there. Um, the problem more. is, is I mean, you have, you have to assume that there's more than one, right? Yeah. And it's only me. And I mean, I don't care if there's you know, only, only two or three against, against me. It's, it's an unfair fight. It's an unfair advantage. And the fact that I'm protecting, if you know, um, a wife and three kids that's that's not going to go over well, right? So, so I think deterrence and mitigation. And there's ten next time, and there's twenty the time after that. And no matter how many times you win, somebody else is going to come get you, right? If you're on the top, you're always being shot at. Well, right. yeah, and then I mean, it's a it's a statistical game too, right? Fifty fifty chance you're going to take some damage on a firefight. You know how long how long do you want to play those odds, right? So, I was going to say deterrence and or uh, you know maybe some uh, sacrificial stores. Uh, think of it. Uh, what was I going to say? Deterrence and uh, ah, I can't remember. Maybe you mean uh, like like give them a crate of food to send them away, and then it's it's time to go after that. You know what I mean? Like, well, well, I was going to say deterrence and mitigation. That's what I was trying to say. Never has to ask you when, when they're in need again. Sorry, was that on the that You're really low. Sorry, there's something wrong with my something wrong with my settings here. But um, if you help somebody when they're in need, then they will remember you when they are in need again. A hundred percent. And you're still there, then they're going to come back for you again because they know you've got more. You know, if you feed a cat once, you you own that cat. So. <laughs> so, so I mean, there's something to consider like uh, caching the main the bulkier supplies elsewhere. I mean, uh, maybe hidden or just in, in difficult to reach places. Uh, the sacrificial stores idea, where you might have like a shelf full of like expired cans of beans, and if somebody breaks into your house and wants to take that, like, okay, yeah, you got me there. That's all yeah. I have. Yeah. Uh, that's a much better option, I think, than trying to duke it out uh, and just say, hey, you just clean me out, you a hole. That's that's it. I've I've had it and. As far as they're concerned, you're, you've got nothing worth giving at that point, right? 
Um, of course, the deterrence is also an option. Like if you're gonna make them work for it, with uh, you know having logs down in, across your driveway, or you know a bunch of um, uh, passive structures to make it harder for them to get in the house. Maybe you know, like I said, guard dogs. Anything else? If they're gonna try and take it, make it difficult. Every little thing you can do helps. I live uh, where I live. There's an embankment, so um, there's only so much I can do uh, because every year I feel like I'm losing ground. But this year, when I did all my tree pruning, it all went over the hill because I'm trying to rebuild soil and, and property there. But it also acts as a deterrent. Uh, anyone coming up the hill has now a great big mess they have to navigate just to get on top of the hill. You know, every little thing you can do helps. Clearing out blind spots, adding cameras, motion lights, things that like should, that uh... give you some early warning, you know. That could be another a whole other episode on its own. I mean, I know when we bought the house here, the homeowner um, that owned the house uh, prior to us had uh, some bushes put in that kind of surround the property, and they have like it's like nature's barbed wire. Like they literally have like these one inch barbs on them. Um, and at first, I didn't like them because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have kids. I don't want them while walking in it. Then the more I thought about, it, I was like, you know what? If if it's a pain in the ass for me to go go through, it's gonna be a pain in the ass for anybody else to go through. So and that's when these things were only about, you know, twelve inches off the ground. Now they're about six six feet off the ground. What um, uh, what plant was that? I'll have to take a look at it. It's it's just basically like a bush, but it's got like these you know, it's three quarter to one inch barbs on them. I think um, it might, yeah, it might be Hawthorne, I think. I'll look it up. I think it might be that. Um, but I mean, anyways, I mean, it's uncomfortable to go through even with like big clothing. It's, it's oh, yeah. not, I mean, it's not going to stop somebody on a vehicle or anything like that, of course. Right. But plant, plant cedars on the inside and then your kids can't get to them. Yeah. Like, uh, or like Hawthorne underneath your windows, like uh, stuff like that. Or like uh, the big Himalayan blackberries we have, like the spikes gotta be this big. They go right through leather gloves and everything else. It's, it's amazing stuff. Uh, self survivalist had actually a bunch of good points here. Uh, bug until you're outnumbered. That's obviously, as we were saying there, uh, community is kind of important. So, you know, most preppers want to have a community like they thought he also mentions. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, you got to make sure you got some reliable people to help you on, on the thing. Um, and like Hughes was saying there too, if you help somebody you need, uh, they think you have plenty, they might actually tell their friends. Uh, so that could be a problem too. Um, if you decide to duke it out with people, of course, you're going to have some breaks in noise discipline and uh, attract some attention. So silence is golden. Well, you have to think too. I mean, you have to expect that others will have their own mutual aid groups. And obviously if you're in a mutual aid group, you're going to do what's good for the group. And if you find a, a cash or a store of food or water or any type of other preps, you're going to want that for your, for, for your group. Right. So, um, you know, people are not always out for your best interest and it's not always good to advertise what, what you do have. Right. Especially for the people that are close to you or close to you in your community as well. The gray man syndrome, right? Trying to absolutely. absolutely. The last thing I just want to mention too is that the ability to uh, self-produce your food diminishes if you bug out too. Like, I mean, you can't bug out somewhere, then plant seeds, and expect to have food right away. Versus if you have, uh, you know, self-production of food on the go at your bug-in location, that you're much better off. So that's what the only thing else I wanted to cover there. And you probably won't be well equipped to do food food uh, preservation either, right? So you got to think about that stuff as well. Canning gear is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, uh, have anything else? Alan, do you got anything else? No, that's it for me. 
Nope. I'm sorry. I think uh, I think we've covered everything that I had. Um, just you know, do a really thorough assessment of your area, like you said. Um, check your weather history for the last little bit. Check your, you know, are you near a floodplain? Are you, you know, are you, is your area prone to forest fires? Um, that said, sometimes you don't get a choice. Um, I don't know. Going back twelve years or so now. Um, the town of Godrich, uh, north of me here on uh, on Lake Huron, they had a tornado come through. They had four minutes of warning, and nobody had a you know there there was nowhere to go after that because every road in the town was blocked and there's two highways coming in and out and they were both uh, they were both uh, covered for two days. Um, so you know have have plans for both bugging in and bugging out. Assess when you need to make that cho- when you need to make that choice, and once you've made it, you're all in, you're all out. Either way. Oh, uh, Freya brings up a good point. Uh, bring radish seeds with you. You can have sprouts in as little as seven days. Okay, That's a good point. Yes. Or actually, I'm I'm not I'm being serious here. Actually, like consider maybe marijuana seeds because it's a barterable item and it grows fast, grows like a weed. I would think. <laughs> I was thinking maybe it's it's worth bringing along. It's a you... bartering tool. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's a, got some 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 street value, and it's um is I assume it's easy to grow. I don't know. I think Alan just mentioned something about you know being in a floodplain. Uh, if you can help it so that you don't ever have to bug out because of floods, don't buy a house in a floodplain. Just just do your research, right? <laughs> well, I was shocked. In uh, I think it's Edmonton. I saw they built a bunch of houses in a hundred year floodplain, and I was like, you know, it's called a floodplain for a reason, right? Like, and they're like, ah, oh, one in a hundred chance, no big deal. <laughs> Well, there's, there's places even like, I think it's just outside of Fredericton in New Brunswick where they're in a floodplain and the St. John River always, every single year, overflows its banks. And there's these people that have had their properties, their homes wiped out off the foundation and they rebuild in the same exact spot. It's like, okay, if I were your insurance, I'd be like, that's it. <laughs> like, I'm not insuring you anymore. Like... Every single hurricane season, you see that, right? People have gone, you know, there are people on the news that have gone through five or six different hurricanes, and every time it wipes out their house, and every time they rebuild it right on the same place. But Manitoba does the same thing, right? The Red River floods every damn year, and every year they build houses again. Right? Where, <laughs> the thing about a tornado is that, you know, you have like, you know, millions of square miles in the U.S. that can be hit by a tornado, and it's it's really a once in a lifetime thing for some, for most people, right? Um, for some people may not ever experience a tornado, thank God. But, you know, when it comes to a floodplain, like, you know, if it floods every year, come on, man. Like, you know. Oh, the Red River, too, is it's, uh, you know, once every 15 years, it gets, you know, hits your particular area, too. But the farmland is just so fertile and so valuable. Actually, it's it's incredibly valuable down there that I can see why they're rebuilding there, too. But, yeah, if you live in Tornado Alley, you kind of got to respect tornadoes. But, yeah. Yes, it's it's great to farm there, but just move your house further away from the water and then it's less of an issue. Build it up higher. Or yeah, build it on a berm. Like you see those, uh, those memes where the guy has the, uh, the, the house on top of a, uh, like a built up hill on the prairies where he's actually taken a bulldozer and piled up the dirt, like an extra 20 feet. And they all thought he was nuts until you see the flood water all around it. It's like, yeah, there's lots to be said about that. I know a lot of, like a lot of houses in, uh, in New Orleans after, um, after Katrina, a lot of those houses were rebuilt on stilts, right? You're taking 10 or 15 steps up, but your like your basement is now ten feet above water, right? Your lowest level is now ten feet above uh, above ground. So theoretically, your like your roof is not going to get wet. Like your like it's not going to get up to your rafters the next time. Well, yeah. Uh, when we had Anne on to talk about uh, the uh, hurricane thing down in New Orleans, and she was saying that um, yeah, it, it, I guess her house is on stilts as well. So 
Anyway. So, yeah, so, so just if that's a threat, then if you build your house on stilts, then you won't be um, you, know, you, you won't be you won't necessarily have to leave, right? You might have to you know move from the the lower level up to the upper level, but you won't have to leave the you won't have to leave your property. So. Um, Ian, in the uh, the Facebook comments there, Brent uh, had a question. What are your thoughts on having a general bug out area and not a specific location? Um, I would, I, I, I'd obviously I'd rather, um, have a specific location I'm going to, um, barring that, I mean, having a general idea of an area you're going to, if you're familiar with the area, um, especially if you're going to be basically camping or, you know, li living out of the trailer, then I don't think it's that bad of an idea, but a lot of that is probably going to be private property. Um, you know, unless you know if it's crown land or whatnot that you can camp on, I, I, I would I would say it's probably not the greatest idea um, just because you don't want to be looking for somewhere to go when you're already there. Right. I guess. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that, but well, yeah. So you think about you go hunting up and down the crown land uh, in the, or the forestry roads here, you burn a lot of gas uh, trying to find a decent spot uh, to even stay the night. And I'd rather just waste a tank of gas going through there. Now scouting the area, surveying with Google maps, the vehicle and everything else well ahead of time. Because you've got a finite amount of gas, probably not much resupply. I'd rather just go straight there and stop uh, versus like wander around and maybe fight somebody over the spot because, you know, they're, you're all looking for the best spot, right? Google Maps is actually, now that you mentioned that, it's really a great idea because if you're going down the logging roads and there's going to be all these little roads that go off of it. And to your point, I mean, going down each road to see if there's anything down there, you're burning gas, you're burning time. Google Maps can actually give you an idea of whether that road leads to anything or if it's a dead, a dead end after like 100 feet, right? Um, now, it may not be a bad idea if it's a dead end after 100 feet because that's a great place to camp, right? Um, so yeah, these, these are really good ideas. I mean, if you have an area that you're familiar with that, you know, is mostly crown land, um, then it may not be that bad of an idea if you don't have somewhere specific to go, I guess. Colin, you you know, say uh, yeah. Um, uh, last October when the CCFR decided we would do the, uh, uh, liberal failure bus and drive across Canada. Um, a lot of times our planning occurred while we were traveling or on the road. We were uh, doing our link-ups with uh, politicians we might stop and talk to or places we might go. A lot of it happened on, on the move. And there's a lot to be said with, uh, if you have an RV, you know, a Walmart parking lot or the back alley behind a, a gun shop, you know, those were all uh, locations where we had stayed you know, uh, places that we could easily defend around, let's say, the RV from vandalism or public curiosity or things like that. You know, having a just an idea of where you're going is a good plan, but, you know, being flexible enough to change the plan if required is, is important. When we were driving from Kenora down to, uh, through Portage La Prairie on our way to Wolverine Supplies, we hit a huge, huge blizzard. I mean, 100 kilometer an hour winds, there were tow trucks in the ditch. And here I was driving a 32 foot RV that was a giant sailboat basically on the road. And we had to make that assessment when we stopped at a gas station, which, uh, which wasn't open because of the weather. Uh, we had to do our own assessment. How much fuel did we have? How much propane to keep us warm? Stuff like that. It was uh, the roads were conditions were bad i wanted to stay in place and just stay there and actually tracy had the better idea she said let's just drive out of the weather because you know we're going to run out of fuel and uh nothing's open around here we'll probably 
you know, go hungry before these roads open up again because it was a big weather pattern. And luckily, we took our time. It took us about three or four hours to drive out of the weather, but it was the best decision we made because if we had continued our journey, surely we would have had greater challenges. So the ability to assess as you go is so important and have the mental flexibility to change your plan if required. I think uh, one important consideration as well, if you're going to be bugging out to an area um, and you know, you're going to be camping essentially um, part of your pre-planning that you want to do is look for areas that have like natural springs, brooks, um, rivers, anything where you can have a source of water, which is going to be really important. If it's on crown land, um, you know, you can use the deadfall for, um, for, for campfires and, you know, for cooking food and all that kind of stuff. So these are important considerations that you're going to be able to quote unquote, live off the land to some extent, um, you know, it's probably not going to be great eating, but um, th these are really important things to consider as well if you're going to look at a general area as opposed to a specific place, I guess. So long story short, reconnaissance is good. In, in reconnaissance advance. is good. And bring a drone. I mean, the drone could do the reconnaissance for you if you had to, right? Actually, that's a, such a good point. Even if, like, seriously, on a bug out situation, if you want to look over the rise ahead of you or uh, look at, around that corner in the forestry road without having to, like, get to a place where you can't turn around with the trailer behind you, that is actually a really good idea with the drone. And thinking about a drone, I mean, in an area that's congested, let's say like downtown Toronto, which you shouldn't be flying a drone anyway, but um, most of these drones rely on Wi-Fi. So if you're out in an open area, like on Crown Land, there's going to be no interference with the Wi-Fi. So you're, you're going to be able to fly that drone a couple kilometers. I mean, you're not supposed to, but in, in a shit hit the fan type scenario, I don't really care anymore. Uh, but yeah, you're going to be able to, you know, go up pretty high in altitude. I mean, you can go, you know, 12, 1200 feet, 1500 feet up in altitude, have a really good vantage point on the whole area. Um, to Ian's point, I mean, these things are super quiet. I mean, even when this thing is 400 feet in the air, I can't hear it anymore. So somebody who's going to be a kilometer away will not be able to hear or see this drone at all. Um, if the drone's a kilometer away from, from me, it's just a little tiny speck that I can still see. Um, so, I mean, unless you're looking for it, you're not going to hear it, you're not going to see it, and it's going to give you the ability to um, sur surveil an area, right? So, I think I just found my Christmas gift idea. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, anybody else got anything else? No. All right. No. Fair enough. Uh, on to the podcast challenge. Hughes, you want to cover that? Yep. So uh, decide on the factors that would compel you to leave your primary re residence. Um, have a list compiled with critical items uh, to take with you within the first, uh, with a 15 minute notice window. Uh, so Fort McMurray is still the best example that we can think of in a recent memory uh, where they have, they had a large, or actually I think a number of forest fires that came through the area. Um, and then most uh, residents were given only 10 or 15 minutes to leave. So that's a podcast challenge for this week. Right on. Yeah, there's still a lot of unpacking to do with that Fort McMurray fire when they had five fires start in very short order all at the same time in different areas around town. So that's yeah. very, very strange. But anyway, upcoming events. Uh, we got the podcaster charity shoot is officially canceled. So that's probably the last time I'll mention that. But uh, yeah, so if you have got tickets uh, bought already, you can talk to the guys over at Slamfire Radio and they should be able to square you away with what you want to do with your uh, your bot ticket. Right, and the uh, TACCOM Canada 2020, September 11th to 13th. Uh, the Canadian Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance at TACCOM 2020. Your favorite podcasters podcasters will be on hand throughout the show, so make sure you stop by the booth to meet your favorites and pick up some swag. You can see the details uh, for the show at the ticket link. That's in the show notes. In the show notes, notes yeah. Right on. Uh, shout outs, Alan. Um, nobody specifically, just... Uh... 
Well, everybody that's been uh, commenting on the live feed here, we really appreciate that. It certainly makes the um, makes the podcast more entertaining for us, anyways. Cool. Uh, as for myself, uh, a few of them actually uh, champion brand farm equipment. So uh, I have a, the big generator that runs my water pump for the uh, the backup generator, and I was working on it and I managed to snap off a couple fuel valves, which I felt like an idiot for doing. But anyways, uh, I phoned them up and I wasn't expecting much them being even open, you know, during the whole pandemic thing and everything else. But they, uh, they answered the phone within 30 seconds. I think of me being on hold, uh, told them what parts I needed. They looked it up for me. They got the actual part number, told me the cost. I was like, that's fantastic. And I said, let's, let's do this. And they're like, yeah, but we actually can't take payment from you from, uh, cause of the COVID thing. And the, for some reason their payment systems were down. So they just sent me it for free. Um, and yeah, it should be there by the time I get home. So like fantastic customer service, even in difficult times. So they may not be the most expensive brand out there, but pretty good backup to their, their product. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, also to uh, Travis Bader from the silver core podcast. So, uh, thanks for having me over. He gave me some great swag and as always nice to meet, to meet another person in the, uh, the, the gun, uh, community that's, uh, you know, gun people are the best people. Right. So. You can check out the Silver Core podcast on iTunes. Uh, he's up no, to uh, quite a few episodes all, now. We're all terrible criminals, and everybody's going to die because we're around. <laughs> Think of the children. Yeah. And then uh, last to uh, Angela Osmond, who is also known as Baby Goes Pew Pew on uh, Facebook for her great idea to mobilize the gunnies and uh, try and fight this order in council. So we'll get more uh, more on that later when she has uh, a few more details worked out. Colin, you got anybody? Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Tracy and Rod and all their work over at the CCFR. I know lately um, with this OIC uh, stuff going on, they've been working like 18 hour days. I know Tracy just finished 13 days in a row, basically uh, working hard for, you know, everyone's rights in Canada and and for democracy, really. So uh, thanks a lot for that. We couldn't do it without uh, without those two. So that's cool. it for me. I don't have anything. Nope. Cool. Uh, Erica is missing tonight, so we didn't get any email or iTunes reviews. So other than that, I guess I'm going to bring episode 67 of the Canadian Pepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. We do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That'll give you an alert when we're going live. Uh, you can find me directly on Instagram at PPSWO or by email, alan at prepperpodcast.ca. And I can be reached at hfxprepper at gmail.com or hughes at prepperpodcast.ca. And I also have my own YouTube channel. Just search hfxprepper. Colin. Thank you can find me on Instagram at CJ Saunders one, one. I'm also on Facebook or you can email me at uh, Colin at CanadianVets.org. Right on. Uh, you can reach uh, Ian directly by emailing me at the island retreat at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Canadian Patriot podcast on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing why government waste OICs and general gun bans just tend to trigger me in general and set off my OCD. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for joining us until next time. Be prepared, stay safe. And, and keep learning. <laughs>